I'd like you to turn to Psalm 23. As you know, I stepped in uh, as it seemed appropriate. R.T. Kendall will be back before he returns to the United States of America to minister us again. But on a day like this, I thought we should focus on the issues, focus on the situation that's around us. Now, before we move into read and to speak about Psalm 23, I've got to say some preliminary remarks. First of all, do not allow familiarity to breed contempt because we know this psalm. In fact, I had to really struggle with myself a bit when I felt a message was emerging from here, and I thought, you know, Lord, they know that. They know that. But nevertheless, if we choose today to come to this familiar psalm fresh, I believe God will feed us and God will speak to us. Very pertinent and relevant word. Psalm 23 is one of the biggest psalms of comfort. It's turned into a hymn, and it's the most favorite Bible reading or hymn to be sung during times of sorrow and times of mourning. And that's all very well. But I want to just raise this question at the beginning, because if you understand the Christian faith, it's not just a comfort message. It's not a spiritual lionel blanket. It's not just a comforter, a cuddly toy, or a nice little story. It has no value whatsoever. There is not one drop of comfort in this passage unless it is true. But if it is true, there is not just comfort for us today in our situation, but there is hope for our tomorrow and every day that follows right the way through. So as the psalm ends, we will dwell in the presence of God forever. So let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Story goes, a number of years ago in Hollywood, there was a Hollywood function, and there were some of the great Hollywood stars present, including Charles Lawton, who was invited 
to make an impromptu presentation. Charles Lawton, a great actor, had a voice with as much drama and pathos as to make any preacher green with envy. And so he chose to deliver a citation of the 23rd Psalm. And when he'd read it, the people stood and applauded this presentation. But there was another man in the building, an old, retired pastor. He was so old that he was almost as old as Dr. R.T. Kendall. <laughs> but he was grieved that this precious prayer was being used, the psalm was being used as a performance piece, producing applause for the technical expertise and professionalism of one of the greatest actors of that generation. Took the microphone, and then he recited the 23rd Psalm. At the end of that time, nobody applauded. But everybody was quiet, and many people were sobbing in tears. What's the difference? A Hollywood actor was able to deliver lines which had power, pathos, cadence, the right timbre in the voice, the right timing, the right diction, the right dramatic effect, but it could well have been a fiction script producing the same effect. But the man who knew, not only was this psalm true, but knew the one to whom it refers, who knew the shepherd himself, was able to speak from his heart words which carried not only the sense of meaning of the sounds and of the psalm, but carried the sense of a knowledge of knowing God in the midst of trial. Not many years ago, there appeared a statement issued by an atheist in one of our national newspapers. The statement was, Christianity is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. And various Christians were asked to bring the response, including Professor John Lennox, who is professor of mathematics and is also a doctor of philosophy, philosophy of science. He said, I will write a response to this. So when the newspaper read in the first line, Christianity is a fairy tale for those afraid of the dark, came the second line from John Lennox. Atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. <laughs> Yes, Psalm 23 is a good picture book, you know, for a Bible picture book, a good postcard, a good children's story. But it is more than a story. If this is the truth, then today, no matter how much our hearts are breaking or how much we are questioning, wherever we might even be feeling some doubts or deep hurt, 
we know that there is an anchor that can anchor us to a fixed reference point of truth which tells us that there is hope that as bad as things are now and as much as evil and neglect and pain and suffering seem to be dominating the news headlines and the experience of many people in London and all over the world, this is not the end of the story. That there is a God who is and will continue to work things out so that evil will be dealt with and that there will be comfort to those who need it to such a point as there will be no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more crying and no more dying in the kingdom of God. Let's have a look at the psalm and I had to, as I say, wrestle with myself for it and I should should just move off that now and get into it. But it's so, so familiar. I'm not going to try and be clever. I didn't go and look up in all the commentaries to see every reference to Middle Eastern shepherding and, and wow you with some extra knowledge today. I want to feed on this for my own soul and give some food to you today. Are you ready? First thing I notice about this is that this psalm is about a person. The Christian faith is personal. Now, the picture is here, of course, David, who was uh, the first effective king of Israel, was chosen from amongst the sheep herds as a shepherd boy to shepherd God's people, Israel, knowing that the only heart that can reflect the governing authority of God is a servant heart, a shepherd heart. And therefore, this is about David thinking about his own time as a shepherd what he did as a good shepherd, how he was prepared to endanger himself in order to protect the flock. And he speaks as a member of the flock. And here we have a community. There are lots of words for church or for God's people. One of them is the community of God's people. Another is the flock of God. And, and this is a gathering. We're all sheep and we are a flock today and we're gathered and we are all equal, equally loved, equally cared for, equally protected by the good shepherd. However, David is not just reflecting on the community dimension to this. We had a lot of reference to the power of community the power of community here in North Kensington, which is just up the road. And that community is God's common grace to all people, whether they're atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, backslidden, frontslidden, or whatever they are. This community, common human value of community, is nevertheless the gift of God in providing something of solace for us here on planet Earth. And all the more so is that sense of community is intensified when we today know that we're not just happening, happen to be sitting next to each other or happen to be coming from the same area or the same background. It's not that at all. There is someone who unites us beyond every other categorization or description, and his name is Jesus. And because our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus whom he has sent, we can have deep fellowship with one another. Our cell vision is all about community, to develop close-knit communities in groups of cells, in people's homes, in other places, in 
but the colleges of learning and education and places of work so that we express the community life of Christ. And uh, I know that what happened this week tells me, tells me that as much as community is alive in the buildings around us, the community of God's people is very much alive here in Kensington Temple. I want you to give Jesus praise for that. Really, real praise for that. We are a church. We are a family. And we are together. So all of that is true, but David isn't meditating on that. He is just overwhelmed by the goodness of God to him. And he is amazed as he has been taking care of God's people and before that taking care of sheep. He is so happy because he knows that somebody is taking care of him. The Lord is my shepherd. Now the word Lord here is the word Yahweh, meaning that great word of in the Old Testament that refers to the God who appeared to Abraham, the God who appeared to Moses, the great God of the Old Testament, who is also the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also is the one who came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. We'll come to that. So this is the great God, the great shepherd, the great ruler, the great king, the one who protects, who feeds, who nurtures, who heals, who comforts, who leads as a good shepherd. When Jesus took that title, I am the good shepherd, when he was saying that, he was saying, you know what? You remember Psalm 23. You remember that? You've been taught that from your mother's knee. You've been celebrating the great shepherd of Israel, the great Yahweh God of Israel, the covenant-keeping, faithful, ruling, compassionate God. Then I want to say, I am he visiting amongst you. I am your shepherd. Amazing claim. Don't tell me that Jesus was just a prophet. Because if what he said is true, he is more than a prophet. He is the son of God manifested in the flesh. And if what he's saying is not true, then he is not even a prophet. He's a liar. So what we're talking about today is not some nice story. Either this is true or it's not true. If it's true, we can feed on it. If it's not true, let's go and read the newspaper. It'll have more value than this. But as we shall see, this is true, centered in the person, the wonderful person of God. And out of this relationship with God as the shepherd of his people comes a provision. Provision. You, you, you never really can separate God from what he gives you because ultimately he gives you himself. When he gives you compassion, he is giving you himself. He is sharing himself in the same way in human relationships. When we grow fond of one another and when we are in family relationships or married relationships or boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, best friend relationships or just friends and only friends or even Facebook friends, you know, we're lower and lower and lower here uh, who can be defriended in a moment. Whatever we're talking about, you are sharing something. You're sharing something of your life, sharing something of your heart. You are gifting one another with your presence and with your attention. And the greatest gift of all, the greatest provision of all is God's presence. 
We shall see that all the way through. But out of his presence comes a provision. And, and David, as soon as he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he comes to a conclusion. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will lack nothing. Now, we, I want to analyze that a little bit because this actually is a syllogism. And you know what a syllogism is? You can think it's not, a, it's not something you eat as a dessert. It's something else. It's a bit of rational thinking. Now, forgive me for that. Allow me to be analytical. I do have a purpose for it today, apart from the fact that we've had apologist after apologist after apologist coming through and drilling us. My left-hand brain has never been so active since I was at school. But i tell you why we need to do some biblical reasoning, okay? Because our emotions take over at times of distress and don't deny your emotions. They're emotions of anger, frustration, maybe fear, apprehension. Maybe there are other emotions of, of deep sorrow and we, we've been created with the capacity to have these emotions and they all serve have a part to play, but never to lead us away from God. So there are times when we have to say, now listen here, friend, talking to yourself, I know you're feeling down, I know you're feeling distressed, I know you don't feel like giving thanks to God, I know you feel like going out and being nasty to somebody, I know that's what you feel like, but remember this, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the first premise, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the second premise here is implied. It's not stated outright. It's implied. But let me tell you what it is. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the first one. God is a good God. He looks after his people, and he has the source of every provision. That's the second statement. But then he goes straight to the conclusion. Therefore, I shall lack nothing. Learn how at times of emotional Periods of doubt and fear, despondency, confusion, anger, sorrow, depression. At those times when everything is bleak, that's the time you need to get this part of the brain going, say, nevertheless, the Lord is my shepherd. He's going to care for me. He's going to provide everything for me. I'm going to come through this. There is light at the end of this tunnel. He will lead me through it. I have everything I need. Provision. Now then, when we talk about provision and look at how a, a, um, a, a shepherd, for example, uh, will take great pride in making sure none of the sheep is lost, parable of the shepherd that leaves 99 sheep to go and bring the one that was lost, the shepherd who protects the flock from the wolves and the attacks and all that kind of stuff, takes care of the pregnant ewes, making sure that the lambs are kept safe, all these wonderful tender images that are drawn from this picture of the shepherdly care of God for every one of you. The next point in our minds is, well, if God is taking care of me, and I believe it, and I love that thought, nothing can ever, ever go wrong for me. He's going to make sure that uh, if I'm a believer, I'll get out of that tower alive. If I'm a believer, I'll be living somewhere where there are sprinklers or whatever else was happening. The, the idea is that we can say, well, if God is taking care of us, we will never have any problems. He will always make sure that we are out of those problems. Now, when we as earthly fathers, as we've been praying, if there's anything we could do to stop 
anything happening that hurts, harms, or damages, or makes life uncomfortable for our kids, we will do it. So the conclusion might be, okay, if God loves me, then I'll never have any problems. And we would be talking today about 100% deliverance of all of the people who knew and loved God in those apartments. And we've already said there were good stories of a large number of believers. We use the word miraculous escape. And we give God glory and thank God for that. But there were others who knew God, who loved God, who perished. So what's this all about? Doesn't God love them? I want to say there's another point here, which is the real point of everything that is happening. That's about God's priorities. God's priorities. His priority is not right now, the moment we are believers, to take us out of all the trouble, out of all the pain, and set us apart. There's only one place where it's pain-free, trouble-free right now, and that's heaven, and he's not ready to take you home yet. You've got stuff to do here. Can I have an amen? amen? So in other words... There is a priority. Now, we know that the end story, the end game is Revelation 21, new heavens, new earth. We know there's going to be no more pain, no more crying, no more dying, nothing. And God will have a manifested complete victory over all evil. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be nothing to hurt or harm. And God will do that. But in the meantime... His agenda is not our happiness in every sense of the word. But it's our relationship with him and the establishing of his kingdom on the earth. Can you get that? Do you get that? So here he says, my priority is this, and David knows it straight away. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the priority. So it's not a promise that nothing bad will happen to us, but it's a promise that in any situation, in every circumstance, he will be with us and he will lead us in the way that is right, that honors and glorifies his name. The one overriding motivation of life is the glory of God, not our comfort. You say, well... Um, I don't quite like what you're saying. Let me give you an example. We saw this at London Bridge and Borough Market. We saw this just this week. When people are trying to get out of that scene, to rush away as much as they can for safety, that is what they should do. Coming in the other direction are the security forces, the fire uh, fighters, and other rescue operators who run in the opposite direction and put themselves in danger because the call on their life is not, number one, their safety and security. Of course, they've got to try and keep themselves safe, but they are prepared to risk their own security and their own safety to do what is right in that situation. And fire officers were injured and hurt and police are often hurt when they go in to sort something out so if they say wait a bit I'm on this planet for an easy life 
So um, I signed up to the police. I signed up to the fire service so I'll have an easy life. No, no, no. They signed up to save lives. That's why they signed up. And we are signed up to God's rescue service to save lives. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our benefit. Yes, God blesses us, but our priority is to walk in the ways of righteousness to give God the glory. There's a priority. And so here's the big question. When bad things happen to good people, we won't even talk about good things happening to bad people. That's even more painful. But bad things happening to good people. The question is not, why has God allowed this to happen? Well, that is a question, but it's not the ultimate question. The question that is in our hearts is, Lord, how can I honor you in this situation? How can I give honor to you? How can I react and respond? Many times of injustice, and I don't want to speak too much about this. The jury hasn't even come in, let alone to go out. But there were, uh, appears, uh, uh, some aspects of this situation which were preventable. That's what it appears right now. That's not a final word, but it looks like that. And uh, so the question is, you know, how, how do we respond? Well, we respond in every situation not by trying to avoid or believe that God owes it to us, that we will never, ever find difficulties or problems, but how can we honor them as we walk with him, honor him as we walk with him? And that's the important point. It says, he leads me, he leads me in paths of righteousness. That's wonderful. The typical picture of a, of a Jewish shepherd uh, Middle East at that particular time, as the shepherd is walking and the sheep are following, you know, behind, they might, the sheep might go this way or that way, but the shepherd keeps the pace, doesn't go too fast, and the sheep follow in behind. You can see them now. Sound effects are free. Okay. And in this church, in the 1970s, when I was a young church member, baptized here, the senior minister at that time was the name of Eldon Horsey. Is anybody around in Kensington Temple back in those days? No, oh, well, I feel like Elijah. I'm the only one left, all right? <laughs> and uh, he's a great Bible teacher, and, and uh, he visited uh, the Holy Land, Israel, and, uh, you know, I've been telling the congregation, I'd heard him say it, you know, oh, the eastern shepherds, they lead their flock. They don't drive their flock. God will lead you. He's gentle. He's gracious. There is a pace of grace to follow. All this kind of sermon. And he couldn't believe it. Looking out in Galilee, and he looked out of the window of the tour bus, and he saw a shepherd standing behind the sheep and driving them like this. <laughs> now, that's not particularly unusual. I mean, I come from Australia, and there are sheep farms there the size of the United Kingdom, frankly, really. They're so huge. And, and you, you don't have sheep dogs. You have sheep lorries and sheep machines, you know, and, and you herd them and all the rest of it. You get them together and corral them, and you get by any means. But you see, the Eastern Shepherd is a much more intimate relationship with the sheep. He knows the sheep by name, calls them by name, and follows them. What was this guy? doing there, driving sheep. So he went to the tour operator and said, I thought you Jewish um, shepherds led the sheep, not driving the sheep. 
So the guy looked out the window and saw what Eldon was referring to. So, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. He's not a shepherd. He's a butcher. <laughs> He's a butcher. He's a butcher. So there's a negative image of religion that it's all about pushing and driving and laying heavy burdens. Those are the people who are not good shepherds. They fleece the flock, they devour the flock, and they flee for their own safety when danger comes. But our God is not like that. He leads us and he walks with us. He will help you. And this is the big thing. It's this huge challenge. How do we put our faith into practice with increasing consistency? That's the big question. That's what every message is about. How do we go from here and live more like Jesus? Well, of course, we can't. We don't have that capacity of ourselves, but we're not on our own. He's walking with us. He's leading. And our, our, our desire is to put first God's kingdom, put first the righteousness. And the second things, they, 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 they'll take care of themselves. Second things, second. First things, first. And when we live like that, the Holy Spirit is with us to lead us and guide us. And today, we can be more righteous than we were yesterday. And in one week's time, we can be walking closer to Jesus than we are today because he's our shepherd and is leading us. So this person's personal, his provision, there's his priority, but out of this flows a whole string of promises, amazing promises that follow. And start from verse four. Here we have in verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, let's, before we get to the valley or the, this particular valley, let's talk about walking. Yea, though I walk. Now, this is a picture of Christian life and living, the Christian walk. In other words, in our daily lives. So God is saying, lo, I am with you only on Sundays between 11 and 1 o'clock. And if the preacher goes beyond 1 o'clock, tough, I've left the building. <laughs> I am with you always in your daily walk. I'm there when you go and lie down. I'm there when you wake up. I'm there. I will even give you an extra shake to wake you up on Monday morning so you're not too late for work. See, our God walks with us, and this is a promise. I'm going to walk with you. I am with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And even if you don't feel my presence, you will know that I am with you. And I will lead you, not just in the great places of fun and enjoyment. I'll be with you in the valley. I'll be with you in the darkness. I'll be with you in the sorrow. I'll be with you in the nightmare. I'll be with you in your pain, your confusion. I'll be with you in your anger. I'll be with you even if you enter into the doors of death. I will not forsake you. For I have already come as your good shepherd, given my life for the sheep and raised it up again that I might go prepare a place for you that together you will dwell with me in the Father's house forever. That's a promise. It's not freedom from adversity or opposition, but he promises us feasting in his presence, even in the midst of our enemies. How wonderful this is. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
It's not deliverance from all of your enemies and there's no more opposition, there's no more pain. We have an ironclad insurance policy that God promises nothing at all will ever enter you that will cause any pain or problems. No, 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 no. God doesn't bring this stuff into our lives, but he allows it for reasons and purposes that, frankly, at, at the time and maybe never do we fully understand why. I think we will in the future. But what we know now is there is a sumptuous feast in times of difficulty. We, we, we haven't always had it easy. Well, I mean by that, I and a man. We haven't always had it easy. We know what it is to suffer loss personal and pain. We know what it is. When I look back at those 16 years of agony and suffering in our own life and family, I can honestly tell you two things. Number one, never did I know such sweet fellowship with Jesus as then when I was in the lowest, most difficult time of my life. Second thing, I can look back on those days and see the fruit that has come when I chose to draw close to God and to get to know him as my primary agenda in times of trial. So whatever else is happening, whatever the devil intended to harm, God has allowed it that we can draw closer to him and closer together then it's more than just tables in presence of enemies. There's this joyful anointing. Anoint, you anoint my head with oil. What was David thinking about? There are Middle Eastern references to oil being used to heal and to keep ticks and flies away. But I'm sure David was thinking about the time when Samuel the prophet came and anointed him with oil and said, Samuel, God says you will shepherd my people Israel. David is saying, God has been so good to me. God has been so kind to me. And when we look back at our lives, even if our lives at times have a tremendous suffering and pain in them, there are, is always the fingerprints, the, the hands of God dripping with anointing oil that leaves his aroma and the wonderful smudge of holy oil fragrant upon our lives. And all the more so as we draw close to him. And he, so he says, you know what? My cup runs over. So there's a sense in the midst of whatever he was going through, we don't know, but it wasn't an easy time for him. But he says, you know what? I'm, I'm, my cup is running over. My heart is joyful and that's not always the emotional experience it's this stuff that goes deeper than the mere emotions of feeling good at the moment there is a peace that passes understanding and nobody can figure it out there's a joy that is deeper than any sorrow that even in the midst of the deepest sorrow there is a undergirding joy that we can't explain but it's there. Then he looks to the future. You know what? It's good for me now and it's going to keep on going, surely. Surely, 
goodness and mercy. It's going to follow me all the days of my life. And then when it's finally over, I'm going to dwell with him forever. That's amazing. That's some of the stuff we can draw from here today. But let's come back to this. Well, how do we know it's true? How can we just leap from this to say, oh, well, it's nice and comforting. Thank you very, very much. But maybe a good sonnet or some classical piece of music or soothing words from my best friend would have soothed me and comforted me as much as this. No, 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 no. As I said, if this is true, it is more than comfort. It's something you can base your life on. If it's not true, it's not even comforting. It's an insult. So I've thrown it out like that. Now I better pull it together, hadn't I? Or shall I just leave now you, with you with the question? But here's, here's how we can go very quickly to see that, it's, that here, here there is proof. There is proof. If you're open-hearted today, you'll find there is proof, real proof. And here's the proof. This psalm was not just David reflecting on his relationship with God using every pastoral and shepherdly illustration from his previous line of work. David is filled with the Spirit and this passage and many other passages in talking about Messiah who would be the shepherd king, who would be the, the king of Israel, who would rule amongst God's people and over God's people, prophesying of Messiah and everybody down through the generations was wondering what it would be and how it would be and how it would work out until Jesus comes and he says, listen to this everybody, you remember Psalm 23, you remember the shepherd of David, that one who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, I tell you, I am the good shepherd. Meaning that the claim of Jesus was that he is the Yahweh shepherd of the Old Testament. That one is now in the person of Jesus Christ, incarnate, living on this planet. To come to where we are, to sit where we sit, to go through with what we go through, and from our own human experience, learn a compassion which does him justice right now in heaven where he can comfort us because he himself remembers and touched in his own body the feelings of our infirmity. Now think about it. If Jesus says, I am Yahweh the shepherd, here in the flesh, there's only three possibilities. Number one, he was lying and deceiving. It's a possibility, logical possibility. Or he was deceived. He was wrong. He was, he was deceived. There are people today, and not only those with mental health issues, there are people today in positions of power who really think they are God. Maybe you're married to one. No, 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 no. <laughs> so he could be deceived. Or he could be speaking the truth. Well, we know he wasn't crazy. Every testimony that comes to us, live testimony, living testimony from the ancient world, the pages of this book and references show that he was, he was not crazy. Never was a man more sane and sober than Jesus. Neither was he deceived. Because in terms of his, uh, well, he wasn't deceived. He wasn't crazy and he wasn't deceiving because his nature, his character was one of truth. Nobody could point any deceit or any underhanded dealing. He was not one of these preachers who made stories up to make himself look good. 
He had integrity. So if he wasn't crazy and he had integrity, he wasn't deceiving, there's only one possible conclusion, and that is he was telling the truth. And even that was proved. If you have a look at uh, John 10, verse 18, you will see what the proof of that is. And this was done, not secretly, but in the blaze of history, when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and raised again on the third day. John 10, verse 48, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I am the good shepherd who gives my life for the sheep. I, I give my life as a sacrifice for their redemption. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. He was in control. He was not a victim. Somehow on the wrong side of Roman authority or on the wrong side of Jewish religious opinion of the day. No, this was the father's plan, the father's purpose, and he voluntarily laid his life down. He went right into the danger zone, gave his life that we should be rescued. Lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This shows that he is not just a man dying for a good cause. This is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ offering his life and taking it up again. Authority to raise himself from the dead. And the fact that he was raised from the dead was the principal fact that convinced everybody who witnessed it that Jesus really is the Christ and the son of the living God. So there it is. Jesus proved it. He is the good shepherd. So as we come this morning to think about all that has happened, we already have so much to praise God for, but I don't want to ignore the, the loss, the tragedy, the suffering. I don't want to minimize that. It's still going to carry on. Because we ain't through this thing yet, are we? But we know this. If we take Jesus' hand, he's going to lead us. And I'm inviting you today to put your hand in the hand of the good shepherd. And maybe some of you will do that for the first time. And you can say, well, yes, I'm going to join David and say, today the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to take him and respond to his offer. He's stretching out his hand to me. Let me help you. Let me shepherd you. Let me be to you what you need me to be to you. And when he stretches out his hand, you say, I take that hand. And I choose to declare today, the Lord is my shepherd. How many people can say today is a real act of conviction, the Lord is my shepherd? How many can say that? If you can say it, say it together with me now. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it again. Underline my, the Lord is my shepherd.